Ahoy, and welcome to the Open Journal Blogcast. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related. That includes illness, wellness, stigma and support, and most importantly some of your very own personal stories. We're going to be covering projects, campaigns, education, starting conversations, and looking at some of the tools that support our well-being as well. I'm Mike, and while I'm being mindfully mindless, hopefully myself and my amazing guests will be able to show you you're not alone out there. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so Mm. they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it. Ahoy and welcome to episode 200. What? Who would have thought it? I can tell you, not me, that's for sure. Um, yeah, huge thank you to, to everyone that's still listening, <laughs> to still engaging with the podcast. 200 episodes is just... Oh, I don't really know what to say. Um, I think, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know what to say. So, huge thank you to, to everyone that's... Um, listened and downloaded subscribed um to those people that are also kind of following and engaging with the the podcast um as well as the blog side um that i have as well massive thank you to all of the guests that continue to come onto the podcast as well it's been absolutely amazing um i think i feel like 200 episodes is something i really want to reflect on um but also November is a, a really busy time. We've got a lot of stuff going on with our, our UK national second lockdown in 2020. So there's a lot going on. We've got a lot of guests um, coming up for the podcast as well. So um, it sort of doesn't really feel like I'm kind of in the right place to reflect on 200 episodes and, and everything that the podcast has involved over the last few years to the probably a hundred odd guests that have now been on the podcast um but it is something i want to do i want to reflect on that i want to think about it and and kind of um have that time the likelihood is that ironically probably won't be a podcast episode it's probably more likely to be a, a blog post um so do look out for for kind of the social media links and stuff to to that post when it comes up um obviously again you can find that on the website which is openjournalbc.com um and it'll be posted there but yeah i think 200 episodes um is amazing um in itself it is just a number i guess 
um, but it kind of represents all of those awesome conversations and those amazing guests that have come on and, and kind of shared the space with me. So a huge thank you to to all of the the previous guests, um, to my guest today. We've got a guest coming up um, in a moment, um, and to those future guests as well that are booked in. I think we've booked. I think I've got guests up until sort of February time at the moment. Um, so it's ace to, to have so many people that want to come on and want to share their, their journeys, their experiences, their thoughts, their insights, their expertise around mental health, well-being and, and kind of things related to that. So yeah, 200 episodes, absolutely amazing. I'm looking forward to reflecting on it at a time when I feel like I'm in the right mindset to do that. But today, for episode 200, we, we have another brand new guest. Claire is with us today. And we're going to be talking a little bit about Claire's experience uh, with mental health, some of the, the awesome blog stuff that she's been doing, including uh, creating and curating, I think is the correct word, um, uh, kind of a list uh, of different mental health bloggers and some of the different things that they're involved with and kind of the importance of signposting comes in a little bit to our conversation and we also speak about kind of mental health in the workplace and in particular retail um so yeah really really interesting conversation i feel like i had a few more questions about stuff i didn't really know about in this episode um but yeah really enjoyed sitting down and chatting with claire so huge thank you to to her for coming on and sharing her experience as always i hope you guys enjoy this episode and if you want to be a guest in the future you can find that information over on the website which is open journal bc uh i hope you enjoy this episode and yeah this is episode 200 um it'd be really nice just to hear kind of how your you know the last few days or the last week has been before we kind of hear a little bit more about you claire but just how has your last few days been um a little bit crazy to be honest um obviously with the announcement of the new lockdown coming in um i still work in a retail environment um and it's like the world is going to end <laughs> everybody has come in shopping in one go and we are taking more money than we have ever taken before and it's exhausting but it's really good for the business mm. um so yeah it's been a little bit crazy a lot of people being very supportive and um just wanting to know if we're still going to be open and stuff like that which we are we're a hardware store so we can stay open through the lockdown um but yeah then it's a case of just come home and <laughs> relax as much as possible before we do it all again <laughs> sit down in a quiet room and just <laughs> yeah look. and pretend nobody else exists <laughs> i think that's the uh, i don't know that's the thing i i've kind of found personally this time round with us going into kind of our, our our second official kind of lockdown period is yeah. there 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 seems to be and I, i'm loath to say it but there seems to be a little bit more of a thought out process of trying to keep certain things open and operational and um i think the first time it felt very much like just everything stops and then we'll work out what we're doing later yeah definitely um and there's still obviously things still need to be sorted out for, for certain areas of work but um, a few people I've spoken to, it just seems a little bit more thought through that like, okay, as a business, we're going to continue to operate like this department will be working from home, but these people will be going into the office and just seems a little bit more thought out this time. So Yeah, yeah. I think the first time around, it was quite nerve wracking because nobody really knew what to expect or how they were going to survive. Um, whereas this time around, I mean, from my perspective, I know like that we are safe, we're, we've got jobs. 
Mm. Um, and we're just going to continue because we've got all the safety precautions in place um, and we just need to just be vigilant. So, yeah, it's it's not as anxiety inducing this time around. Oh, that's good. That's good to hear. I think it's it's nice when you feel obviously certain precautions need to be taken, but the way they happen sometimes yeah. isn't the best. So I think it definitely sounds like you're in that situation where, you know, you're kind of informed and, and feel safe and that those actions are happening. So that's really good. Yeah, definitely. Um, you kind of hinted on a, a little bit of, of your background there, but it'd be really nice, Claire, just to hear a little bit more about um, kind of who you are, a little bit about your background and, and kind of essentially what's led to us sitting down and having a conversation today. Yeah. Um, so uh, for as long as I can remember, I've suffered with anxiety. Um, my mum used to say to me that when I was a little girl, I worry about not worrying. <laughs> um, and I would just say to her, well, that's because I've missed something then. Um mm. But that then in later years led to depression and um, I also suffer with IBS, um, which is uh, irritable bowel syndrome, if you didn't know that. Um, And it all came to a head for me working in the corporate retail world because um, around the Christmas period, there's so much more pressure put on you. And I'd worked myself up to a management position. Um, And uh, yeah, it was just it was just felt overwhelming and there was so much pressure on me to make sure the the staff performed and that I performed and there was longer hours. And, you know, for everybody else, it's Christmas is coming and it's all exciting for us. It's okay. Well, we shut the doors on Christmas Eve and then we've got to start prepping for Boxing Day. So it's it's over before it's begun. Yeah. Um, And I think that's one of the things that led to my major episode where I had to then I got then got diagnosed officially with anxiety um, and I had to deal with CBT and stuff like that Mm. Um, and then I suppose then the blog came about maybe about I think it was March that I started the blog when I had another um, quite bad episode uh, due to personal things going on in my life Um, I just couldn't find anybody online that really related to how I felt. You see a lot of these, you know, sort of like Mind.org, which actually were really mm-hmm. helpful in my treatment um, and other anxiety sites. But they all talk about a generalized feeling that you're going to have. Mm-hmm. And I didn't find that it really spoke to me. Um, so I decided to write it down myself. And that's how the blog kind of materialized. Um, and then I've had people sort of like say to me, you know, like, it's so nice to to finally find somebody that seems to understand how I feel mm. um and that was ultimately why I did the um the list of uh, the ultimate list of bloggers because I thought there's going to be people out there that I can't help with that because I only deal with one side of mental health um so there are other people out there that will know how you feel um and if I could find a way for them to be able to find that in one list um that'd be really handy and that's when I spoke to you so uh, kind of a whistle stop tour of, <laughs> of, yeah. of Claire um, yeah there's a few a few obviously a few things that be really nice to kind of um, pick up on I think one thing that kind of strikes me that you mentioned of the kind of the general information that's shared by um, kind of national mental health charities like mine yeah. and Samaritans and a few other places as well yeah and I think there's some really I don't know I feel like there's some really nice introductory stuff that they share yeah Um, absolutely and and there's sometimes that lack of I don't not detail detail is probably the wrong word but um, I think it's more the empathy side of it yeah and I think well for me it's seeing the kind of the, the way you were describing it very much kind of shouts to me like it's that personal blog side isn't it it's that sharing yeah. 
um, sharing your lived experience and sharing your insights. Yeah. Where you are not, um, I don't know, not restrained, I guess, by having to focus on everything. It's actually, no, I'm, I'm going to talk about the things that I want to talk about. Yeah, um, definitely. The things that I care about, the things that I have some knowledge of or experience of. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to, like you say, through thinking about and doing things like your your kind of list of mental health bloggers it's that recognition that you know I'm not here to provide you with expertise in everything I'm here to tell you about my story and my situation and and that's it yeah I think that's a a really good way to to explain the difference I guess in some ways of the support that's offered by um kind of story sharing and and charities absolutely um, I think there is a difference there but yeah. um I was just wondering uh for you like where where that uh, where does that importance for mental health blogs kind of sit what do you think about them just as a like as a concept what's important to you for, for those things to exist I think it's it should be one of the highest priorities I and mean, one of the the biggest and best ways that we can fight the stigma that still surrounds mental health problems is by talking about it. And I think when people um, like per, per, in my personal life, people that have, have read my blog or that I've spoken to have said that seeing somebody share their story gives them the courage to speak up themselves Um and I mean, like when you work in certain environments, I mean, I know that I, I'm actually in a really good place at the moment because my bosses do understand that I have um, anxiety and depression and are really supportive. But I have been in retail environments where the bosses either don't know about mental health or they don't care. And their general attitude is pick yourself up and carry on. And having somebody stand there and say to you, actually, you know what, this is how I feel. Um yeah, just it helps them to open up and explain their own situation. And there's so much more out there help wise than we realise. And I think that starts with somebody explaining how they feel and encouraging others to do the same. Mm. I think that's a, a really important thing to mention. And you also pick up there on the different uh, different types of support or different reactions you can get particularly yeah. in the workplace as well I think is yeah. a really relevant thing to mention um I guess yeah kind of what 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 has what's what's your experience or what are your thoughts around the different types of support that people get in the workplace um I think to start off with I think I mean you I mean, I, I can't blame management because a lot of the time, I'm mean, even as a manager myself, you're not trained to to know the signs to look for to mm. help somebody. And even, I mean, like for myself, I mean, I'm aware of sort of like the most common symptoms of anxiety and depression because I've been through it and I've, you know, I've researched it and stuff. Mm. But even for myself, I was never told what I should do in that situation. I mean, if somebody that I knew presented with it, I would talk to them, but I didn't know what services I could offer them as an employer. How do I help them get from where they are to the help that they need without saying, oh, you need to go and see your doctor. Mm. You know, there should be things in place in the workplace where people can talk to somebody and be told which direction they can go in for help and support, even if it's just, you know, a support line in the workplace that can help you with general workplace problems. Um, on the other hand, like I said, I have I have got bosses at the moment that have just I mean, I've said to them, you know, that I suffer with anxiety and depression. This time of year tends to be particularly difficult for me. I, I don't know whether I suffer with SAD or whether it's just 
this time of year, I don't know, but they've always been supportive and always said, if there's anything we can do to help, let us know. Um, and although, again, they probably don't know what they could do to actually help me in a practical sense, it's nice to know that I'm acknowledged and accepted and that it's OK, that I don't have to worry about it. And that can be half the battle. Yeah, I think that's such a big thing. And um, I, you've kind of really covered it there in in that like, even if you don't know what to say or do or aren't sure where to signpost people to, just the fact you've facilitated that conversation and you've made yeah. an environment where, like you say, you felt comfortable to to disclose that and to have that discussion with yes. uh, with bosses, with managers, with colleagues. Actually, that in itself is a really huge thing and is something that I'm sure some people go on training courses to be able to do that. Yes. So I think that is a really big thing. And we would, I, I, I feel like I would probably call that a starting point, but that's probably very unfair to say that that's a starting point. Actually, that in itself is a really good um, place to be. And it might be that there is little more that is kind of needed or wanted or, or possible from a workplace. It might be that that other support is is kind of external to work. Yeah, I, mean, um, I think understanding is is the first the first point mm. of call. You you want to you want to feel that saying that you've got a mental health problem is not going to make you then become the butt of jokes or ridicule or even bullying I suppose to some extent in the workplace and it, it is a current concern you know people do worry about how they're going to be perceived if they admit that they've got a mental health problem mm-hmm. um, and it, it can affect your whole life not just your work life because you take it home with you mm. yeah I think there's a really big thing there around having that sort of yeah that environment I guess really that yeah that's part of that re- relationship um Another thing you kind of mentioned, it, it was in my mind, I call, I, I'm not sure, I, I make this assumption, and this is a, an assumption from someone outside <laughs> of retail, um, the kind of Christmas and that New Year period is a particularly busy and demanding and stressful time. It is, um, yes. And I'm going to ask, does that, rather than make the assumption that it does, um, <laughs> does that have an impact on kind of how you how you feel and how you're experiencing your mental health kind of through the the, the winter months? I think so, yes. Um, I think, I mean, Christmas is a stressful period for everyone, not just the people working in retail, and it, it really sort of like reverberates throughout the whole process. So obviously, in a retail environment, your managers have got higher targets to hit. They've got more stuff to do they've got their higher ups are having a go at them for staff they're then reeling it down to you you're reeling it down to your staff and on the other hand you've got customers that are stressed because they can't get the items they want they want to get in and out of the shop and there's queues for miles mm. um, and so you're getting it from both sides you know and it, it is a particularly stressful time and when you work in a retail environment you can't say the things that you might necessarily want to say to a customer you've got to be nice to them <laughs> So it's, you don't get that venting period either until later on in the day, maybe when you can vent to colleagues or when you can vent to your, your partner or your kids or whatever. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like I say, I mean, like Christmas is supposed to be a time for family and, and friends and being together. And a lot of the time when you work in retail, you find yourself working longer hours. So that's less time with family, less time to get your Christmas shopping done yourself. And so then you worry that you're not going to get everything done. 
and it just becomes one big stressful period in your life um yeah yeah it feels very much like you kind of mentioned there it's almost like it's a celebration for most people or for a lot of people and then at the same time it's like you're the the pinnacle of your your working year um when like you say you've got those additional targets you're working the extra hours yeah and and it's just quite a lot to, to take on I remember I think I I think I was at college and I had like a part-time evening job stacking shelves in Woolworths yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I really enjoyed it like the, the yeah. other people that were working there were pretty cool and we'd just have a chat and just get on with our work and I remember that it, I think I was there leading up to kind of summer through to the winter right. and it started to lead up to Christmas and the opening hours were longer so we were doing our evening kind of stacking while the shop was still open yeah and I, I was like this is not for me I'm not <laughs> I'm really not here but I quite like coming in there's no one here I can make it look pretty and I can leave and when yeah. I leave it all looks pretty <laughs> I'm I, it's never looking pretty <laughs> and even when it gets close someone is taking something oh, I was like no 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 <laughs> I think even at that even at that level I was like this this I'm not cut out for this like <laughs> <laughs> yeah I feel your pain <laughs> been there yeah I think it's uh it is a very a really challenging time for 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 a lot of people yeah it's uh, understandable because Christmas for most retail businesses Christmas is when they take 75 percent of their annual profit oh I didn't realize it's as much yeah it is yeah it's it's a crazy time of year which is why everything is so much more focused at Christmas that yeah uh uh, yeah well yeah uh, I can see why there's maybe so much focus on that yeah Uh, and obviously this year is a very different year where you know we've had kind of restrictions in place we've had uh well, we're going into a second lockdown yes. um so there is like a restriction on, on kind of the the retail and shopping settings yeah um obviously that must be quite hard for you to have had everything that's going on this year working in retail um how have you kind of been able to use some of your coping strategies and, and kind of support network to to help you this year um well I think that the first time round um we did I mean, even though we were a hardware shop and we could stay open we did close and that was mainly because our managers didn't feel they could keep us safe at the time um so they took the opportunity to put the um, protective sh- uh, screens and masks mm. and stuff like that in place for us which was it was really nice we got that break to actually like really come to terms with what was going on um mm. spend a bit of time with our families um and then come back refreshed everything was in place and we knew we were safe so I suppose there was a certain element of anxiety around having not been in the shop while lockdown was going on. Mm. Um, We didn't really know what to expect. So there's that element of fear of the unknown. Um, But we all kind of um, sort of like got together on WhatsApp beforehand and had a good chat about how we were feeling with our bosses. um, And they were very reassuring Um, saying that if we had any complaints or problems, we could get in contact with them and they would help us deal with it. Um, Yeah, I mean, like I say, I mean, being in the in the environment that I'm in now is is so much better. But then I work for an independent company now, not corporate retail. Okay. And the difference is really eye opening. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, like some of the the techniques that I've used from CBT training that I've had, um, I, I meditate a lot um, and I use the breathing techniques um, and I also keep a worry journal, Okay. Um, which has helped me no end throughout my whole anxiety concerns. Um, just like writing down things that I'm concerned about at the time. And then I, I pick a time in the evening to actually come and address it. Um, and by the time I get to my, my worry time, um, quite often the worries are either taken care of or they just don't seem as bad anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, I suppose those are the main coping, coping strategies that I use is, is the meditation, the breathing and, and the worry journal. But and you mentioned kind of earlier that that use of, of CBT and, and kind of coming through and having, having had that experience and that support, mm-hmm. um, it'd be interesting to kind of hear about what was it like that, that kind of first experience of, of coming forward and, and trying to access a service and using CBT for the first time. Um, how was that for you when, when that happened? Um, to begin with, very nerve wracking. I'm, I'm not generally the type of person that likes to talk in front of a lot of people. Um, and when I first went to my doctor and he did, um, they do like a questionnaire to find out sort of like where you are um, with regards to your anxiety, depression, if you're likely to hurt yourself and things like that. And then they deal with where you go from there with what sort of treatment you need. And, and we decided between me and my doctor that um, cognitive behavioral therapy was probably the best avenue for me. Um, you then get referred to, I think they were called, they're called TalkWorks now, but they were called the Mind Organization at that point. Um, and I contacted them and I had an assessment where we decided, I say we decided, <laughs> um, we kind of came up to the conclusion that a group therapy would be good for me, which was, let's like say, really quite nerve wracking for me. Because mm. um, you start to think of, oh, you're going to sit in a circle with a group of people and start talking fluffy stuff about your feelings, which just isn't me. Mm. Um and it actually wasn't like that at all. We were we were all sat in a room together um, at desks um, and we had um, there were two therapists at the front of the room who basically just explained to us um, sort of like why anxiety affects you the way it does, the effects it has on your body, the effects it has on your mind. And that for me was really helpful, understanding that my body wasn't doing something wrong. It was just doing it at the wrong times. Mm. Um, and that that was really really helpful for me to I suppose to understand that I wasn't broken Mm. um, and that actually there was a light at the end of the tunnel Um, you just got to work for a little bit Um, and actually being in a room full of people that understood pretty much how I felt was really really helpful Uh, it made me feel less alone a lot of us connected um, outside of the group as well which was really nice we would meet up for coffee um, and talk about how we were progressing and sort of things that we'd learned Um, but there was also sort of like um, for me in particular I I am a self-confessed control freak um, and I do find it very frustrating when I want things done in a certain way and my husband does them a different way um and one of the lads in the group was in the opposite direction his girlfriend was very uh controlling and he was saying how anxiety inducing it was for him that she wanted everything perfect all the time so I suppose it helped me to understand things from my husband's perspective as well Mm. Mm. um so yeah it's really good to get those different perspectives but also to feel like you're heard yeah I think it's um it's all I always find it really interesting hearing people talk about um kind of that that uh, getting started with CBT and um, particularly with um, kind of group work sessions, which it kind of we don't always 
discuss, but um, kind of similar to you, I think. Uh, I've had CBT and I had the group sessions first before kind of one-to-one support. And at the time, I was very reluctant to do the group work, I think, possibly for similar reasons of just not really wanting to be in a group and go through some of that. And having that almost like, is this going to be like an AA type thing? And I'm not sure I really want to stand up and say my name and what I'm struggling with because I don't really know. Um, And, uh, yeah, I think similarly, I found it really helpful to hear other people experiencing kind of different but similar things yes um and have that realization actually like you've said there that um other people are are going through stuff as well and um it's different types of stuff and maybe some of the things that they're struggling with I don't so actually like that's a really positive thing like there is something that I'm okay with and that can be a good starting point and I think having that insight you mentioned as well to there's lots of different things that people struggle with and this is yeah. kind of one thing of of many um I, I I'm I really think groups are a, a really important and a great way to um provide insight for people yeah definitely um, I agree I I don't know that they're always used for the right reasons but I think they're really useful I think a lot of the time it's we can p- fit kind of 15 people in a group um so let's do that instead of one-to-ones yeah but I think they are really useful for people um and I think sometimes as well is that I would say particularly with stuff I've done in groups is it takes longer for the lessons to kind of resonate with you I don't know if what it did for me is I would say I don't really feel that I took anything away from the group at the time other than it's nice to be around other people until maybe sort of four maybe even six months later where I started to realize oh actually this tool or this way of thinking is helping um so they do I think I'm making a bit of an assumption that group works really do take longer to to have an effect and to resonate with people yeah and I think sometimes that's why I think we see a bit more kind of negative feedback about groups is because people are asked at the time yeah well it hasn't helped at all and it's like "Mm." but I think it needs and personally I think it needs a little bit longer for people to say something positive about it because it takes longer to embed within your kind of support or your yeah definitely yeah, I would agree. I, I think I found a lot of the time at the time, I just felt like, like you said, it, you were just sort of like mm. meeting up with a bunch of like minded people, mm. uh, which does help to a certain degree. But it mm. wasn't until later down the line that I started to realise that there were certain things like um, they called them, I think it was like NATS, negative automatic thoughts. Oh, yeah. Um, where you sort of like you hear something or somebody says something to you and you automatically jump to the negative conclusion. Um, and then you start to realize that you're doing it and then you start to pick up on, OK, well, I learned this in CBT. So how can I change that? And it, yeah, you, you start to think about how that actually the tool can be used in real life. Mm, it's that recognition, isn't it? I think you mentioned yeah. earlier, actually, with that idea of it's not trying to get you to sort of stop or not have certain I don't know images or thoughts pop into your mind. It's being able to better understand and manage them. Yes. Um, and I think CBT does that kind of really well in recognising it's almost the, I don't know, it's almost the secondary thing yes. is the thing that we want to kind of deal with. So if you get sad, that's completely OK. But if you are 
worried about being sad or mad about being sad that those are the things that we want to pay attention to because we can maybe do something with those yeah um so yeah it's, it's really interesting to hear that kind of that insight with with how it's worked there I mean I'm interested in how kind of how that was like the first time you had to kind of consider is this something I'm going to bring up at work so not necessarily your current workplace but just within your experience the first time you felt like actually this is starting to overlap or affect my work um how did you kind of process that in your mind and what kind of things happened there um I suppose I I mean I'd been dealing with it for a while but I I didn't know what it was at the time I was um trying to find or trying to get a diagnosis for the IBS because that had become the major problem Mm, Um, and my boss at the time was very much if you're going to keep taking time off sick then you're going to get disciplined um so I went to see my doctor and he put me forward for tests um I saw a gastroenterologist and eventually down the line after several tests um we determined that I had IBS and that it was actually caused by anxiety which I hadn't realized um I think at the time having a diagnosis was a relief um Mm. but then suddenly realizing that I had this thing that had always been with me and explained a lot I suddenly felt like I didn't know who I was Mm. Um, and I think that kind of at the time spent me sent me on a downward spiral and we had another manager take over and he did say to me that he felt that I was probably heading towards depression mm. um, and the day that I realized that I really had to do something I walked past my son's bedroom and realized I wasn't going to have time to tidy it and ended up crying on the kitchen floor oh. um, and at that point I think I got even more upset because I thought I was going to have to phone in sick because I couldn't stop crying. And I thought, what a stupid reason to phone in sick. Um, And I phoned up my boss and I said to him the situation and he said, okay, he said, like, take a couple of days off, phone your doctor, get in and see your doctor and go from there. Mm. Um, And that's what I did. I went to see my doctor. He determined that a lot of my stress was down to my work environment and the pressures that were being put on me. Um, He referred me for cognitive behavioral therapy and I think I ended up having about six weeks off work at the time um and although my boss started out really supportive at the beginning um the longer I had off the less supportive he got Mm. um but yeah that was the gist of it he basically said to me he thought I was heading that way um Mm. and yeah that it it kind of it got worse before it got better which I suppose is quite common yeah I I imagine so and it again really interesting hearing that almost double-sided take on on having a diagnosis as well yeah um like you say kind of the positive side of having that acknowledgement and information about this is kind of some of what's going on and maybe a little bit of an insight into why um but also the like re I don't know re-finding or re-imagining of who am I yeah um almost having this door opened to kind of another another room of your identity I guess yeah to, definitely to sort yeah. Of work out okay so what does this mean um must have been quite an interesting interesting thing to to experience at the time as well yeah um but you've also mentioned having had uh like a a reasonable amount of time um within kind of the the retail sector and having that as part of your of your career and I imagine again from the outside seeing that as potentially 
uh, a place where there is quite a lot of camaraderie and good rapport amongst um, peers, but generally quite a lot of stress as a workplace environment to to be coming through. And then to have that experience with with kind of anxiety and depression related symptoms and illnesses must be very difficult to kind of balance that with that type of environment, I would imagine. Definitely. Yeah, um, I think I mean, for me, the, the the anxiety was a secondary thing, I suppose that the problem for me at the time was the IBS because it was impacting on my work. I was having to take time off oh, when I yeah. was in work. There was always that concern that it was going to start off. Mm. Um, and then the added stress of my boss not being understanding and saying to me, you know, if you're going to take more time off, I'm going to put you through the disciplinary procedures. Um, it was something that I couldn't control. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't like I enjoyed having it, you know, it sort of like flare up whenever it felt like it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in that respect, that was really, really difficult from the management um from a lot of my my I mean because I was sort of like middle management so a lot of my staff I had actually worked my way up through the company alongside them so they were my mm-hmm. friends as well um, and they were actually really supportive and I think that was the one thing that kept me going I mean I mm. have spoken to many people in IBS forums on sort of like for face group and reddit and stuff like that who have said that they just had to quit they couldn't cope with it um and asked how I managed to keep going and I think it was the support of my colleagues at the time because they were so supportive yeah yeah because I I don't know it does it strikes me and like I say it was a a brief insight but that brief insight I had very much felt like there is a strong kind of team unity around some of the work that you do yeah um and I can imagine that especially if you you are, are for a period of time within that field that you you do have a, a fairly strong kind of support network around you at work as well so it's not just like a I go in and I do my job and that's it actually there oh, is no, a, yeah. a support network there yeah I mean I think especially I mean like I, I've worked for one of the I mean they're not now but they were one of the major um, corporate retail companies in the country mm-hmm. um, and I mean they're, they're well known they're a big brand and when you start working for them and when I first started working for them it was meant to be a stepping stone to better things um I was there for 12 years uh, and that was mainly due to the staff that I worked with uh, you just you, you build a family with them you spend I mean you spend most of your day with them so you, you do have to build some sort of rapport with these people um and they do become like your second family and they're people that you share your hopes and dreams with you you share your you know your sadnesses you cry with them you laugh with them you go out on the razz with them you see them at their best and their worst and if you can't turn to them for support it's it's such a terrible thing to be working in that sort of environment if you can't turn to your colleagues for support yeah I think uh, I don't know I I have like I say I've made the assumption that it is very much a strong thing in retail Uh, yes it, it must it must be a thing in other places as well um but yeah I've always kind of had in my mind that yeah it's very much a team mentality mentality uh type environments I think that's yeah. yeah I'm not surprised to kind of hear that I I wait someone to come back and say I work in a different industry and it's very much like that as well but yeah <laughs> um I think uh yeah kind of bringing us back around a little bit you mentioned earlier um kind of this this experience leading through to to starting to share your your own experience through having a blog and again yeah. just I guess a similar kind of question as to um how how that kind of came about in a bit more detail and what it was like kind of sharing your experience online for the first time 
Um, I think the first time I, I ever saw like published, you know, press the publish button. Mm. Um, I mean, I didn't really know anything about blogging at that point. So, you know, my, my assumption was that I press publish and everybody in the world can read it. <laughs> and that's not how it works. Um, so my first published post, I was very anxious about, but then quickly got over it because unless you actually get some traffic to your blog, nobody can read it. Um, so it was mainly sharing with friends and family who knew me anyway. Mm. Um, and I suppose there were things that they didn't know that I shared on the blog, more more sort of like uh, inner thoughts yes. and, and workings and stuff that they weren't aware of. And mm. I had a lot of, oh, why didn't you speak to me? Why didn't you call me? Mm. Um, so that opened up the conversations to, you know, like, didn't want to burden you, don't want to put my problems on you, didn't know I could talk to you about it. Mm. Um, and I think in some ways it's opened doors between my friends and family and I that weren't there before, which has been really helpful. Um, but also now that I've got a bit of a following, um, I, I do get emails from people saying, um, you know, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's mm. opened up my world with my friends and family. Um, uh, you know, I, I hope that it does inspire people to talk about their problems. That's that's that it was the second reason why I started it. I started it originally because I couldn't find anywhere that really resonated with me. And I wanted somewhere that I could actually put my feelings mm. out there and just try to make sense of it all. Um, yeah, I yeah. think it's. Um, I just found it insightful when when people sort of speak about sharing their story and it's almost like oh, I don't know, there's definitely not just two different avenues that people go down that's ridiculous but I feel like <laughs> there's mainly two is that idea of kind of having your own uh, having your own space and having your own blog or website where you can really sort of share those insights where you have that opportunity to um say some stuff to some extent into the void um and kind of just get that out there and and people that very much almost have like a kind of this is my story and I want to share it in lots of different places um and so don't necessarily have their own website or blog but do kind of guest posts here and there and um it's interesting kind of hearing the difference between some of those and I think you you also mentioned it earlier in that regard to kind of wanting to share a, a real insight into all the different things that you have and that you are experiencing. Yeah. Um, but also being able to to signpost to um, kind of lots of different and other blogs um, that kind of cover mental health as well. And I was just yeah. wondering kind of where that, I don't know if it was part of the beginning, but where that sort of jump happened from the blog starting off as a place to share those um insights that you were having and initially that being almost a like a family and friends plus sort of circle to grow that to as you say having a a wider following it and now thinking about I'd also like to signpost people to other things that that they might find interesting or relevant as well um I think mainly because um in I I don't work with them now I mean we're still friends but I, I worked with um it was a really large group of people that all had very different mental health problems Mm. um in the last job that I worked in and when I first started working there I thought it was going to be great because obviously these are all these people that are exactly like me and actually it's strangely it's not a great environment to work in um Mm. I think most people that suffer with some sort of mental health issue we tend to be very uh inward thinking we can some people would call us selfish Um, when you suffer with anxiety and depression, you're very much focused on how you feel Mm. um, and how the world is against you. And 
other people that suffer with something similar are also in that same place. And none of you are really helping each other because you're all thinking about yourself. Um, yeah, go on. I was going to say, yeah, it's interesting because I think, um, I don't know if I would describe it in quite the same way, but I would, yeah, I, I don't know. Because I would think of the, I don't know, like the added distraction, I guess, of feeling like, do I also need to worry about, like, I'm worrying about me, and that do I also need to worry about what someone else is experiencing and how yes. I can put that across? So I think, I, in my mind, I almost feel like there's a possibility for that to be quite tiring. Oh, yeah, very. It was exhausting at times. Yeah. And the thing is, because you all do suffer, you do talk to each other a lot about mm. your problems. So mm. you have, like you say, you have your your problems that are piling up on your shoulders and then you've got other people putting their problems on you mm. as well and I think most people that stuff I mean I don't know about all mental health illnesses I know people with anxiety and depression tend to be very empathetic um, and we feel a lot mm. I think when you've got somebody telling you that they feel like um, you know they can't cope and they feel overwhelmed and they feel like a failure you feel like it's your job to fix it and you can't, you can't fix everybody. And I mean, a lot of the people that I was working with, I, there were two people that were on the autism spectrum. Um, one of them also had Asperger's as well. Um, mm. My boss's daughter um, got diagnosed with uh, borderline personality disorder. Mm. Um, and it's another one of those things. She suffers with anxiety and depression. She's talking to me about these problems. And I'm saying to her, I have no idea how to help you with that. I don't understand borderline personality disorder. I, I've never experienced it. I've never known anybody with it. I don't know how to help you with that. Um, and I think that was sort of like having conversations with those after I left work in a more friendly setting rather than a personal setting. I started to realize that I'm helping people with my experiences, but what about these people? Is there anywhere that they can go yeah. um, and find the help that they need from somebody that actually understands them and can say to them, yeah, I know how that feels. And that, I think that's why the list came about. Did you ever find um, kind of having that opportunity to be in a setting where there's a, a, like a diverse range of kind of mental health illnesses and symptoms going on that there's, I don't know, almost it's sort of, yeah, it's another one of those kind of double-sided coin, isn't it? Yeah. Of like it being an opportunity to really learn and pick up on a few different things about um, the different ways that people are living with some of these illnesses and and having that almost like a yeah a peer-to-peer conversation because as you say you're not an expert in what they're going through and equally the same for them in yourself but at the same time there's almost that there's enough awareness isn't there that it's like oh I don't want to say something that might um be really difficult for them to hear um or or kind of put something into into someone's mind so it must be quite hard to have that balance between I guess um kind of supporting and almost self-educating to some extent yeah uh, yeah. alongside managing your own kind of care in in quite a a difficult group setting yeah definitely I I think um it's obviously like you say you've got to be careful of people's potential triggers Mm. um so uh one of the lads that I worked with um, was he's a bit of a germaphobe, I suppose, is, is what you'd call it. When I first met him, he wore gloves all the time because he was afraid of catching something. And he did get he, he was working on that. And by the time I left, he was no longer wearing gloves uh, while he was in the workplace. Um, 
but there'd be certain things. I mean, if you sort of like, if I said to him, I just, I'd been and cleaned the toilets, <laughs> he would back up about a foot. Mm. Um, and, you know, I had to be careful how I handled that. You know, I'd have to make sure that I either didn't tell him I'd done it or reassure him that I'd cleaned my hands before I, I left and came to him. Mm. Um, but I am fascinated. I, I can't help it. I'm fascinated by the mind and how it works. So I, mm-hmm. I do have a tendency to question people on how things affect them. Um, and I think in some respects, to, to a lot, you know, for some of them, it was really helpful to get that off their chest and actually have a candid conversation oh. about how it affected them. Mm, mm. Um, I found it opened them up quite a bit it's having that it's almost back to something you mentioned earlier isn't it it's having that environment where you can have that sort of open conversation and have that understanding that uh, like you're going to get that there's a struggle going on it's just that we've got different types of struggles so you're not completely going to get it but um yeah it's it's providing that environment where people feel comfortable to to share those insights to speak honestly about what they're going through and to some extent for us to be able to make some of those adaptions so like you mentioned about someone that's got uh, a concern about kind of cleanliness yeah actually going okay so if I want to um kind of build up this rapport and actually take on board what they're experiencing what can I do to, to facilitate this yes um and I think that's the side of I mean to some extent you've both got to be in a comfortable place to have that conversation if someone's in crisis yeah, clearly yeah. that's not going to work but um I think there is a, a a big thing there around us trying to almost move that conversation forward it's it's moving I say it's moving from this this focus that we seem to have nationally on awareness moving from that to education so we now need to educate ourselves on on what are these illnesses what are these symptoms and how can we better support it it's not that it's not that you or I need to sit there and treat someone and provide them with a service but actually having a, a bit of information that means we can we can host those conversations and maybe have a I don't know a slightly more comfortable or happier uh, rapport with people I think that's that's something that we can do and we can work towards and I think absolutely um, that's where like you say having having the opportunity to share those insights to sort of say oh here's a list of resources and other blogs and stuff that you can signpost to I think is a really a really good thing and really helps to hopefully also encourage people to to use signposting and things as part of part of the the work and the material that they publish as well because I think yeah it's so easy to go oh this is this is my bit and, and that's it um and I mean I still do it sometimes um but it's trying to remember to to add in some of those kind of signposting to other resources and if you're struggling yeah. or if you want to read a bit more here's some places you can go to yeah so I think it's a really good thing to to encourage as well and to to encourage people to do that extra reading if they feel able and confident enough to so um I think yeah there's a big thing there around signposting I think it's yeah, definitely, definitely something we should be doing more of but yeah. um well we're all working on the same side you know I mean the more we can interact and, and get those people the help they mm, need the, the better definitely and I think kind of with that idea of signposting in mind 
Um, oh, that's a nice lineup. Uh, if people <laughs> wanted to, I need to remember that one for a future. That was good. If um, <laughs> I've made it worse now because I'm. Fine. <laughs> but um, Claire, if people wanted to find out a little bit more about you and about your blog and different things um, that are going on, uh, where's a good place for them to to go online to websites or social media and things like that to find out about you? Uh, me, my my blog is uh, www.missrenity.co.uk. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook and um, Pinterest. I forgot where I was then. <laughs> um, all under uh, I am Mr. Renity. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much for kind of coming on and sharing those insights. I think it, um, again, it's just sharing those lived experiences and encouraging people to have those conversations wherever they feel comfortable to, whether that's in the workplace or at home or, or anywhere. Definitely. I think it's really important. So no, thank you for coming on and, and sharing those insights. No, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I don't think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it.